The Reinvent You podcast is designed to provide tangible advice that will help transform those who have experienced a divorce or a breakup into rediscovering their voice, regaining their power, and obtaining their freedom by focusing on mindset, emotions, finances, health, faith, love, parenting, and building meaningful relationships. These weekly talks are designed to assist individuals to become the best version of themselves in their personal lives, families, and professional environment. I'm your host, Tanya Carter, and thank you for joining. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of the Reinvent You podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Carter, and thank you so much for joining me this week. When it comes to helping others and lending a helping hand, how much is considered too much? Is there a limit when it comes to helping other people? Because when it comes to helping others, we're normally taught and very encouraged to serve. Now, I do want to be clear when I say this, because in no way am I indicating that serving others is something that you shouldn't practice. However, what I am referring to on today's episode are those who have been trained, whether that's been consciously or unconsciously, to always be the help, to always be the savior, and to always be the go-to, no matter what the cost are involved, neither, no matter what it takes. Because when we are referring to this kind of help, this is the kind that you become more of a savior all the time, 24, seven, 365 days a year. And so what tends to happen when you do this is that you tend to take on responsibility that isn't really yours to take. You start to feel guilty about even prioritizing yourself. Not to mention that you start to feel extremely unappreciated, extremely taken advantage of, and developing an underlying resentment. And you also actually become very drawn to people who need this kind of saving. It's almost like you're seeking someone to save to this capacity. And even though the underlying belief is that this is the noble thing to do, the question is, what is it doing to you? What is it doing to your well-being and what is it doing to your overall quality of life as well as your relationships? And what I wanted to do today, I wanted to bring one of my previous clients who was a part of my 12-week Thrive program in January. Uh, We spoke around the week of Thanksgiving and I really thought that she would be very perfect to have this conversation around this topic today. So my guest for today is Miss Janetta Middleton. Janetta is a licensed hair care specialist from North Carolina. Her focus in the hair industry is to teach others how to embrace their unique beauty through the care of their natural hair. And being in the hair care industry for her has definitely created the space to pursue two of her lifelong passions, and that is to support others on their natural hair care journey as well as their healing, self-acceptance, and self-love. And so without further ado, 
Janetta, I am so glad to have you here. Thank you for being a guest on today's episode. Thank you for having me, Tanya. Of course, of course. I met Janetta back in January and Janetta was a client of mine. And I'm going to tell you, I, I've enjoyed working with Janetta the whole time. I think I think all my clients are amazing. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, however, I, I did love Janetta's energy, her, her willingness to show up and do the work. And I'm just glad that we were able to cross each other's path. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful to um, to have met you and to be working with you. Um, how's life been this year for you? It has been a fast track to healing. <laughs> it has been an unexpected journey, um, but it's been good. It's been good. It's getting better and better. Yeah, I see the glow. <laughs> <laughs> I see the glow. I see the glow. Um, I know that there was something in your bio that that I didn't read because I wanted to kind of bring it into a question. And you stated in your bio that you found yourself unfulfilled and needing to focus on your own self-care and healing. Um, My question to you is what gave you that revelation for yourself to realize that that's where you were? So the um, industry that I worked in before, uh, becoming a hair care specialist um, was again, caring for people. Mm-hmm. It was um, because it's what I, I, I like to do. I enjoy doing. So it was um, caring for people. And I was one of the first people that you see when you enter the company. Right. And so, but I noticed I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I was always uh, feeling anxious and depressed and so I was like okay there has to be something else what is it I knew that I always loved doing hair um every since I was a little girl one thing about me is I carried around my baby doll and my bag with combs and uh hair bows and some of everything else right but I knew that sitting at that desk I was unhappy and I was burnt out I was angry all of the time and I was like what is it So I quit. Mm -hmm. I put myself through hair school and I quit. And once I did that, it gave me the space to focus on myself. It gave me the space to figure out what was bothering me so much. Like, what, what is it? What's keeping me unsettled and anxious all the time? And so that's what led me to leaving and led me on the journey to my own self-healing and self-care. No, that's really good. What was your job before you were doing hair? So I was, I worked at a foster care agency and I was um, a part of the billing team and I was the office manager. So I was the first person when you walk through the door. So every, whatever needed to be done, I was, you know, I was the person. Mm -hmm. Right. I was taking the calls and, you know, so I was doing some of everything. And mm-hmm. while I loved being there and being a part of changing children's lives, right, I still felt empty and unfulfilled. Like I like it wasn't it was just not, it just wasn't making me happy. I wanted to serve in a different manner, you know. Right. Yeah. No, no, that's really good. And so by leaving that job it gave you more room to, would we, would it be safe to say to just dig more deeper? 
Yeah, to explore. To, to explore. To, to discover myself. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I understand that. Um, that's how some jobs can be. Some jobs can really physically and mentally make you ill. I know sometimes people don't see it, but being able to walk away, go through going through hair school, you're now doing hair. And when I met you, that's what you were doing. So you were already in that space of doing hair and then you signed up to be a part of Thrive. What made you decide to start your year off this year by signing up for the program? What was your motivation? I I remember telling you that a year prior, I had been going through some things and I was looking on Instagram and ran across one of your posts. And I had written down... Um, I had taken notes from what you said on that post. I, I do not remember what it was, and I wish I could find that paper, but I wrote it down. I wrote the date, and I knew that I wanted to take your class one day. So fast forward a year later, my marriage is falling apart or has fallen apart. Um we had had experienced extreme loss in our family and I was still feeling kind of lost, you know, still feeling kind of, okay, I don't, I'm not grounded here. I know I looked on Instagram again and there you were again. And I remembered, Hey, I wanted to take her class, um, her course. And so I said, I'm going to reach out because I'm still, I've done a lot of healing, but I'm still not where I needed to be. I felt like I needed something, I needed something accelerated, something that concentrated on uh, what I thought was relationship, my relationship, right? So am I going to prepare myself to just totally end this relationship altogether? Or what am I going to do? Well, lo and behold, really, that's not what I needed. I needed that accelerating healing and focus on myself, not the relationship. But that is what led me to taking the Thrive program. Okay, so you decided to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to join because there was more of an accelerated healing that I needed to do. Um, And I know you mentioned that you said your marriage was had got to the point where it was pretty much had, had fallen apart. How long were you married for? 16 years. 16 years. Wow. 16 years. Yeah, that's a long time to 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 be with someone. If you could sum it up, what made you say that this relationship needs to dissolve? I was burnt out. I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what to do anymore. You know, I, I kept trying to fix it, but mm. I couldn't fix it. <laughs> there there right. was nothing I could do to fix it. Right. So I started working on myself. I took the focus off of the marriage so much and fixing other people and started focusing on fixing myself. What can I do to fix me? Cause maybe I'm the problem, right? So what can I do to fix me? Mm, what can I do to fix me? And you said that, okay, let me just redirect that energy onto me. Mm-hmm. And I know working with you, the 12 weeks that, that we um, spent together, um, there was a lot of ground that we covered um, during that time frame, but it was something that you said that always stuck to me. And I can't say it word from word because I don't remember the word from word part. But you said you found yourself always 
attempting to fix a, fix it or being the rescuer in most in, in your relationships. And I think it's safe to say that we're not just talking about romantic. Mm-hmm. We may just be talking about being the friend, being the daughter, being the mom. Right. And so we're talking about different areas of relationships that we can find ourselves in. How did that impact you? And trying to fix every relationship because it was it was every relationship uh, with parents. If you're connected to me in any way, I was trying to fix it. Right. It didn't work. It didn't work. It just left me unhappy and, right. and resentful. Mm. I remember feeling resentment in every relationship that I had in some way, um, even dreading to talk to people or be around them. So it caused me to seclude myself a lot because I'd be exhausted. Well, you have to be exhausted if you're trying to fix everything, right? Right. (laughs) You're constantly swimming in circles, trying to fix everything and everybody. Right. And so what gave you the belief that that's what you had to do? Because I think it's one of those things where, I I personally believe a lot of people suffer from saving people or feeling the need to fix people, but also suffer with stopping it too. Like, it's almost as if, okay, I don't want to do it, but I don't know how to stop. What gave you that belief to even think that that was something that you had to do? What was the, what was going on mentally with that? I believe it, it stemmed from my childhood and from having a lot of dysfunction in the home and somehow feeling as a child that I could fix. If I could just do this, then it'll fix what's going on here, right? Of course, as a child, I didn't know how to put it into words or know exactly what was going on or what needed to be fixed. And as a child, I can't fix anything, right? <laughs> I can't right. Fix it. But I believe that that's where it started in childhood, wanting to fix it, wanting to keep, wanting to hold everybody together, make sure that everybody is okay because mm-hmm. nobody was okay. Right. So you gave yourself that pressure before you even really realized that you did. Mm-hmm. So do you remember maybe the age on when you felt like that that's what you needed to do or that was something that you thought would make things better? My earliest memory would have to be around five years old. Wow. And I can remember saying um, my parents were going through something and I can remember standing in between them and trying to put their hands together. Because if I put their hands together, if they just touched each other, right, it would fix it. I could, I could fix it. I could be the bridge that I could right. mend that bridge, right? And of course, it didn't fix it. Right. But that that is my earliest memory, thinking that I had the power to make everything okay, and and I didn't. Wow, and you was five years old. Five. Did you ever? think that that was the connection I did until until this year I did not right until the beginning early part of this year I had no idea that that was I thought it was normal I thought this is was this was just my personality you know because I had been doing it for so long so I had no idea that it stemmed from me being that little girl who thought she could fix it on her own. She could fix the adults. (laughs) You know, I'm laughing because it's like, no, no five-year-old can fix the mess that's going on around them. 
but I, right. I thought I could. Yeah. And there was no one to tell me differently because nobody knew that I was trying to fix them. Right. And no one even saw maybe during that time, the impact that the dysfunction was having, having on you. Right. Because when mm-hmm. two people are um, hurt, they could really just be more focused on their hurt, their hurt. as opposed yeah. to what's going on with my child. Um, not because they don't care. It's just, that's just how emotions can be. Um, it was something you actually stated and you told your younger self, you cannot save everyone. When I tell you that hit me, I mean, to say that to the, the youngest version of yourself, I mean, (laughs) gave you the permission to divorce yourself from that expectation. What did you find that having this expectation, I'm sorry, did to you and your relationships? Outside of you being burnt out and overwhelmed, what did it do to the other people you were connected to? So at the the beginning, starting the podcast, you uh, said something about being a fixer kind of draws people to you, right? So I looked around and I noticed that everyone in my life expected me to fix something. All of my relationships, Mm. all of them. So whether I was born into people who looked for other people to fix them or, you know, into a family that does that, or whether these were people who I chose to be my extended family, everybody was looking for me to fix something. And even if they weren't in the beginning, well, because I was always looking to fix something, kind of turned into that kind of relationship. Right. So the relationships were all kind of in shambles a little. You know, the surface seemed okay, but it really wasn't. There There were boundaries that needed to be set. Because when you're a fixer, you don't really have boundaries. At all. Because you allow anything and everything to happen because you just want to, let's fix it by any means. Just like you said in the beginning, let's just fix it. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I noticed that everyone relied on me on on those tough moments, even something they could simply fix themselves. If they got a little frustrated or flustered, I'd be the first to call. Hey, can you do this? Can you fix? I'm like, Without even thinking, I'm trying to fix it. And some things are just, they can fix it themselves or don't need fixing. Not everything needs to be fixed. Right. And by you discovering that this started when I was five years old, thinking that if I fix the problem, um, maybe the, even that broader level of validation for you. And then you're unknowingly seeking that as an adult, perhaps. Yeah. And, I, and also, I realized I didn't want anyone else to feel pain. But pain is a part of life, right? It's a part Ooh. of life. We all feel pain. So I wanted to alleviate everyone's pain. I didn't Ooh. want anybody to hurt. I didn't want anybody to suffer. So if I fix it, you you won't hurt and you won't suffer. Right. Not realizing that you were the one who was in pain. I was the one suffering. You were the one who was suffering. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, that's a lot of weight to carry. Like if you all are listening, think about it. She just... I mean, you literally just said, I don't want anybody to feel any pain. So Mm -hmm. you were willing. So when you don't want somebody to feel 
anything, you're willing to take on that burden, burden for them, even though that may not be what you're saying. That's what you're doing. And you're doing that by always rescuing. No, that is really powerful. Um, Let's go. Let's go back to your marriage for a second, because you you mentioned that you were married for 16 years and you also um, came to this revelation that, hey, I have unknowingly been carrying a subconscious belief that I'm supposed to fix everybody by any means necessary. I'm willing to take on the pain just so they don't have to experience it. Is it safe to say that you did the same thing in your marriage? Most definitely. Most definitely. I did. Absolutely. You know, when you have these relationships, no matter what it is, but especially in a marriage, someone gets used to you trying to fix everything and taking on so much so so that they're not hurting, they're not having any issues. Then once you change and you realize, hey, wait, I don't want this load, right? Then it causes more friction because they're like, hey, wait a minute. No, this is what you do. This is this is our thing. This right. It's like you created it. Like what we what we doing? Like how we go? And it's not, it's like, well, hold on. I didn't sign up for this. You you started this. You finished it. Absolutely. I get it. Yeah. So yeah, I I I'm when I say in every relationship, when I sat down and evaluated every relationship that I had, I could see how I would take on other people's pain points, whatever it was, it's the simplest thing to the greatest thing, whatever it was, I would take it on and I would wear it like a shirt, like a badge of honor. I really would like a crown. I'd, I'd walk around in it. You know, I can remember anything could happen and I would take it on. Okay. Let me take care of it. I'll fix it. You know? Right. So yeah. And so when it came to your marriage and you said that that was something that you were doing, believe it or not. And this was, and the reason why I can relate to what you just said is because I had an unhealthy, I used to, I used to be like that too. I used to feel like I had to be a fixer upper, um, especially romantically. I used to really take people on as projects and thinking, okay, you know what? I can fix you. But then it ended up being like a parent child relationship where it wasn't, no level of mutualism or it wasn't like a companionship. It was almost as if I had another child. Um, Did you feel that way? I did. And I felt a lot of resentment towards him because of it. It it wasn't his doing. It was mine. It was all me. It was all me. But I definitely felt like I was the parent. He was the child. And I resented him for it. Right. Did you lose respect for him? I did. Yeah, I did. Respect was one of the first things to go. Right. And <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because I've, I've told a, a few people, I, I even tell my clients this, once the respect is gone, love is one of those things where it, it it's not, it's not going to be enough to sustain once respect is absolutely thrown out the window, you know? Wow. That's, um, No, that's actually really powerful. And so like now that we've gotten this revelation, not just the revelation, though, you did the work. Like, let me be clear, because it wasn't just the revelation that Janetta got. It was the work that was required, because here's the thing. When you create these dynamics, you also create a culture. 
you create, you develop, or you show people, this is how you treat me. That's how you're teaching them. So let me be clear. So when people be saying, oh yeah, you know, I realize I can't save everybody. Yeah. But then the question is, how do we stop saving? How do we stop rescuing? How do we stop enabling? How do we stop saying, you know what? I can't do this anymore, no matter what the cost, because it still is going to cost something when you change the way you do relationships. And um, I know in the beginning, coming to all of this, that was probably one of your challenges as well. And so, as you said, I went through all my relationships. So when we're talking about all relationships, this may be how you show up as a grandmother, how you show up as a mother, how you show up as a daughter, a sister, a friend even in as a hairstylist, how did you reframe your way of offering help? And what were some of your challenges with that? So in doing that, I had I had to take a major look at myself and I had to get quiet. Mm-hmm. I had to shut the noise out because a lot of times it would be, like I said, I'd be the first phone call, right? To help fix the problem. So I had to take a step back and have downtime. And I'm going to tell you the Thrive program helped me so much with learning how to take a step back and to kill the noise. I remember you told us every week, kill the noise, kill the noise. And you have to, because if you don't kill the noise, you don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what you're feeling. You're thinking and feeling everything that that someone else is throwing at you within a day. You know how much, how many encounters we have in a day, (laughs) you know? Seriously. So the first thing I had to do was kill the noise. And I had to ask myself some hard hitting questions. And I had to be honest with myself. What were some of those questions? I know my first question I had to ask myself was, why do I feel the need to fix it? What is motivating? Mm -hmm. What is motivating my actions? You know, what I also had to learn my triggers. What are your triggers was another question I had to ask myself. Okay, so what triggers you? I know that I don't like for other people to feel pain. So if someone calls me and they're sounding frustrated, they're sounding down, that's a trigger for me because instantly my mind goes, oh no, what's wrong? What can I do to help? So in that situation, if I'm triggered, then what do I do once I'm triggered? Right. So I had to learn how to assess the situation. I also brought out my journal. My mm. journal has been the best tool for me because I can write down what triggers me, how I was triggered, what I did, how I reacted when I was triggered. Okay, so did I still try to fix it? And if I did, it's okay. I don't beat myself up if I still try to fix it because, hey, I'm in recovery, right? So it doesn't mean that I'm healed from this totally, but I'm in here. I'm healing. It's a journey. So I have to keep in mind. So I wrote down uh, several things to just reread and keep in mind. Okay, don't beat yourself up if you do help, but make sure you do what honors you. If Mm. it doesn't honor you, then you don't do it. If you're going to be resentful, then you don't do it. One thing that I kept in mind is God loves a chill forgiver, right? So if I'm going to try to help you through whatever you're going through, but I'm going to be resentful, then I'm not doing it cheerfully. Mm, so I'm not powerful. doing it. It's not going to honor me. Right. 
I want to honor myself. I want to honor the person and I want to honor God as, as well. Right. No, that's, that's powerful. I mean, you, you said something that you got to know where you're leading from and how you're giving. I'm checking that internal motivation. Um, that's, 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 that's real powerful. And so you said I had to honor myself. Um, let's kind of go back to that because one of the things about feeling like you have to rescue everybody is you do dishonor yourself unknowingly. And so honoring thyself, (laughs) right. Is involving the oxygen mask. Um, it involves doing things that will still trigger you, but it's a good, but it's a good trigger. And and what I mean by that is like, when you got to tell somebody, no, that's going to trigger you because you're going to think, well, what if they don't like me? What if they stop talking to me? Right. And that can trigger you to actually not even implement honoring yourself. So how do, how did Janetta and how does Janetta continue to honor herself? Well, like I said, I, I try to make sure that I do things that only make me feel good. Of course, mm-hmm. we have situations where we have to do things that we really don't want to do. Right. But in trying to make sure that I'm not trying to fix people or trying to just please people. Mm-hmm. Then I have to make sure that I feel good about those actions. I feel good about the yes that I did give. I feel good about the no that I did give. You know, is this something, even asking myself uh, questions like, is this something that person can fix on their own? Mm, Because sometimes you're the first person, you're the first line of defense, but the person can work the problem out on their own. Right. Sometimes when you step into the role of being a fixer, then the person doesn't automatically use the tools that they have. They just use you. And that's it. Ooh. Ooh. So, you that's know, a bar. <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's real. No, that, that right yeah. there, that that's powerful right there. Yeah. So it seems, you know, I I had to tell myself that I can't manage other people. I have to manage myself first. I'm my first priority. And that's one of the ways that I honor myself by letting myself know I am my first priority. I have to be sure that I am managing myself and managing my time and not trying to manage other people. it's, It's too much to do that. And by being honest with myself, okay, if you do this, are you being the first priority? If I drop what I have going on to take care of what they have going on, am I making myself the first priority? And most of the time I was not. They were the first priority. You know, Mm -hmm. the saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. My cup cup was constantly empty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I always dropped what I had going on. I couldn't focus on myself. I couldn't focus on my business. I couldn't focus on what was really important to me because I was focusing on everyone else. So in honoring myself, I'd be sure to focus on myself first to make myself the priority. Mm. Did you lose any relationships with that new um, declaration? I did. You did. I did. But I was 
I did and I was prepared for it. Mm, so you, so even in knowing that you were the rescuer and you were that person that felt the need to save everybody, is it safe to say that there was a part of you that knew some relationships would end because the only benefit they had with you is what you can do for them, do for them. not just yeah. for who you are? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It, it was. It mm. was. I, and the Thrive program really prepared me for that. I can I can distinctly remember in the program you saying, hey, it's the people are going to fall away. But it had already started to happen before the Thrive program because I started changing how I moved some. You know, I didn't really realize, okay, I'm being the fixer, but I realized, okay, something has to give. So I'm just going to stop doing a lot of what I'm what I'm doing. I'm going to get quiet. And a lot of times people don't understand your change. They don't understand it. They don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They just know that you're not doing what you normally do for them and with them, right? So right. they think that you're changing toward them. They don't realize, no, you're just changing yourself because you don't like how you feel or what right. you do. You know, so a lot of the relationships, I didn't have to cut them off myself. They just fell away. Mm, wow. I like that. You said I was prepared. Um, you just was prepared for the possibility of, of changing and um, re reevaluating how you're going to do that relationship. I, I like that. Um, out of the 12 weeks that we spent together, what would you say would probably be your top three that, that has really helped you even now? Like, what are the top three that you really feel like um, were game changers for you? My number one week was speaking to myself, my younger mm -hmm. self. I felt speaking that too to when you did it. Self, speaking to her, she needed me. And I didn't know how much she needed me. Mm -hmm. I had abandoned her. Yeah. And she would come around and try to tell me, hey, look, I'm still here. I still need you. But I had abandoned. I, I wouldn't hear her voice because I was too busy trying to fix everybody else and not fix me, <laughs> her. Right. <laughs> so that would be my number one week. Um. I believe my second biggest week was the very first week, mm. the very first week, because in that week, we have to sign a commitment to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, you do. And that commitment is a game changer mm -hmm. because you have to commit not only to the program, but you have to commit to self. Yeah. You have to commit mm -hmm. to self. Yeah. Thrive program is a program that if you're not ready to do work, you don't sign up for the program because you're it's going to change your life. It's going to change you. So I would say that was my number two. Wow. Number three, forgiveness. The forgiveness <laughs> week. Yeah. Forgiveness that's one of the week. that's one of the toughest ones for. I mean, listen, that that right there, I'm telling you. You know, it's almost like I, sometimes I'd be like, let me get on, let me get off camera so I can talk about forgiveness. It's, it's one of those things where it's, it's tough. Yeah. The forgiveness week was very powerful 
because I evaluated all of my relationships and all of my interactions from being that little girl until now. Mm. And I realized that I didn't necessarily have to forgive a lot of people. I needed these people's forgiveness. Wow. So I think, yes, yes. And not only did I need their forgiveness, but I needed to forgive myself. Mm. I needed to forgive myself for not showing up for myself. So that, and between that one and, and the talking to your younger self, they kind of are in competition because those were very powerful weeks for me. Mm, right. Because being at five years old, I'm sure you felt maybe even some part of it being your fault. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then thinking, if I can't fix it, then it really must be my fault when it was never your burden. It was never yours to carry. You know, and just going back to even forgiving yourself for even putting that type of pressure on you at mm-hmm. such a young age. Yeah, I I, I remember it being a powerful week for you. You, I remember you saying, I got to go back and ask people for forgiveness. And I thought that was powerful um, to, to come to that revelation because forgiveness can be challenging. Um, and it is, it's a journey. It's not something you do overnight. It's definitely a journey. And then the most important thing is you said, I had to forgive myself. I think a lot of the time we're taught to forgive other people, but we're seldom taught to extend that same level of grace over who, over ourselves. Did you feel free after that? Did you I feel did. like a, a lot was free? Yeah. I did. I did. I remember during that week, you said, remember that no response is a response. <laughs> and there was one person that everyone else that I reached out to, they contacted me back or I was able to talk to them and ask them for forgiveness. I had one person that did not respond. And at first it kind of bothered me. And I just kept saying, no response is a response. I I wasn't able to tell the person how I felt and to ask them for forgiveness. So what I decided to do was get out my journal. I got out my journal and I wrote to that person. I wrote what my feelings were then, what my feelings are now at that time. I wrote what I did wrong and how I wish I could write that wrong. And I just poured out my heart in my journal. And after writing the letter to that person, I then wrote a letter to myself at the age that I was then to that person. And I asked her for forgiveness and I told her I forgive her because honestly, I just didn't, I didn't know. And sometimes we do things we, you know, we act out of ignorance or lack of knowledge and mm-hmm. so I, I just didn't know. So yeah. I had or to forgive even, myself. Yeah, absolutely. Or even our own hurt. Yeah. Um, that's. I mean, it it happens. That's that's why we're human. And grace is really undeserved favor. It, you you don't earn it. It's just something you get, just because of who you are. I I love that. Um, I'm gonna tell you something, y'all. I working with Janetta was amazing. Um. Janetta is one of those clients that when she signed up, she was ready, right? Um, for herself, 
right? This, this was about her. She, and I remember some of the things she was like, you know, um, you, you purposely shut down things like Janetta, like was closed. Okay. <laughs> like you was closed. Like the house of Janetta was closed. Like during this time, I got to hone in and focus on me, myself and I, and you did that. Like I, I can respectfully say that you did that. Even it was a week that I think you weren't even feeling well. You still got on that call. You was like, I gotta, I, 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 I gotta keep going. And I, I mean, I just want to first say thank you. Um, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your journey. Um, I'm loving the woman that you have um, grown into and you're still becoming like, it's, of course, it's a never ending journey. It's been close to a year um, and a lot can happen in a year. I had Kay on a couple of weeks ago and she shared a lot of things that has happened in her life. And Kay and Janetta was actually in the same exact cohort and just seeing like where they are mentally and emotionally is probably one of the biggest things you can obtain because it births so much. Like, I know you're a stylist, you're an entrepreneur, you have your own business, um, you're, you know, you, you that cash flow been coming in. Like, how's your business been going, um, as well as your relationships? How's everything else been going? As far as my business, it is flourishing. My clients are all clients that I want in my chair. They are all <laughs> clients. You know, you. I mean, with any business, you can have people who personalities may not mesh with yours. All of my clients do. All of my clients are, I'm, I'm, I just, there was a major shift. It was a major shift in who came to sit in my chair. It really was. And what they were working on individually. Do you think that had a lot to do with your new energy? I do. Yeah, I do. I do. Because as soon as there, that shift happened with me, then people started coming. And no advertisement whatsoever. But the type of person that I wanted, that I envisioned sitting in my chair, came and sat in my chair. It, it, so working on me really did make a difference. As far as my relationships, I've noticed um, that they're a lot better. Some, we're, we're still working right. on them, you know, but, um, but just knowing that I have to stick to what my commitment to self was has helped so much in those relationships. I've taken more time to still be quiet still have those those down times where I just simply kill the noise. And I've noticed that that boundary that I created to have my downtime. Nope, I, I can't do it between this time and this time. I know I can't. Noticing that, doing that, I've noticed that they respect it. They respect it. And I've noticed that they're not coming to me as much. Of course, they still come, want me to fix certain things. But giving myself that space and time has made my relationships a lot stronger. Right. And it's made it to where I'm able to see and receive their love because before I couldn't. You couldn't receive their love? I couldn't see it or receive it. Why do you think that? 
I was resentful. I was oh, resentful and angry gotcha. at them all the time, mm-hmm. you know? So I couldn't, whatever they were trying to, <laughs> you know, <they're> trying <laughs> to show me or trying to give me, I was, uh, I was shut off because right. I was angry, you know? Oh no, I like that. That's powerful. I couldn't receive what they were offering. So again, it goes back to say, okay, you know, sometimes it, it, it isn't the other person, right? It's just what we're doing. And I know that can be a tough pill to swallow, right? Because when you're always in that mode of fixing and saving and rescuing people, you don't even realize the help that's being extended and offered to you. You automatically shut it down. You automatically say no, or may, again, you don't even think you deserve it, right? The story is always, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I I had to do this for such and such. But then it's like, if someone else offers it, can you receive it openly and willingly? No, I'm, I'm actually glad you pointed that out. I like how you slid that on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, Jeanette. Jeanette slid. But no, I think, I think this is important because, um, you know, just going back to your marriage, you, you mentioned that you resented a lot. And I, and I don't know, um, did that create a space for him not to even feel like he could offer? Yes. Or did he? Yes, really? absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I can remember him saying, but you won't even let me do X, Y, Z. Or I tried okay. to do I tried to do this, but you won't let me. And I remember um situation. I, I was I had planned this party. Right. And I did not ask for help. Many offered and I was like, no, I got it. I got it. So the day of the party. I have everything there, but I have no servers, right? And I need help with decorations. But I am still trying to run around and do everything myself. And I had two special ladies show up and a special guy show up. The guy helped us with the decorations and the ladies took over the kitchen. They told me, nope, you go do something else. We got it. And in that moment, and this was this year, right? After the Thrive Program, right? I'm still trying to do it all myself, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, oh my goodness, I I have always been trying to fix everything and do everything myself that I won't even allow help. Mm. And I said, I remember after the event, I remember looking at the lady saying, thank you so much, silly me. I'm still trying to, I thought, that I could serve everyone and do everything all by myself because, you know, my job is just to fix stuff and my job is to handle it. Right. Right. But we all, we're, we're all here and we're all connected together to help one another. Mm-hmm. That taught me, okay, you got to open up. You got to receive what people, you got to receive too. You give and you receive. It was, mm-hmm. that was a hard concept for me to learn, but I, that party showed me people are here to support and help you as well. Let them in, let them help. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And, and I think the great thing is that you consciously saw it mm-hmm. and you, you became proactive on changing how you did it. Right. Because these new ways of doing and being isn't a light switch, right? We don't just if it was that easy, I promise you will do it. So it's so much that we have to unlearn and learn and keep 
doing the same thing over and over again. So you saying, no, I can't, I don't need to move and shake like this. I need to accept and receive this help and go somewhere and sit down. Okay. Exactly. And see, but see, that's what people who tend to be a rescuer do. I, mm-hmm. you, you do, you create your own exhaustion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a level of exhaustion we're going to experience just because we're, we're here on this earth, but the, the unnecessary exhaustion, the mm-hmm. constant exhaustion, the 365, 24, seven exhaustion, the same story of I'm tired. I'm mm-hmm. sick and tired of people asking me that right there is can be something that we're creating and not knowing. Right. Because I want you guys to understand going back to just being five years old, it, 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 it was some it was developed. You know, and for some women that I know, they've always seen their mothers just be that type of woman, just never off, always on. Right. And so we unconsciously pick it up, even though if our mothers never said you don't need to do that or maybe I, even our dads. And so we can unconsciously pick up stuff. And that's why going back to that younger part of yourself is so important because somewhere along our timelines, We've picked this type of stuff up, and but I'm I'm so grateful that you're allowing yourself to receive, right? Because rescuers have a difficult time receiving. It's like I've had to almost like put somebody in a headlock. Look, I want to help you now. Let me help you. <laughs> Let me help you, dog. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, fussing because it's like let somebody help you. So, no, I I love that. I, I love that. Um, before we close out, because I know we're on the um, verge of closing out, I do have a question. I do have a question that I want to ask you. What would you like to say to someone who's struggling with this now? Because, you know, there are people out there who are struggling with it, who know that they're struggling with it. It's a part of them that knows, but maybe have difficulty um, rearranging how they do relationships saying no, creating the boundaries, um, honoring themselves, right? Um, saying, you know what? I don't have to fix everybody who calls me. Anybody, I don't have to be the emotional dumping ground. I don't have to be the fixer. What do you want to say to that person? I want to tell that person to first be gentle with yourself. You didn't get here last night. It wasn't overnight. If you're not going to change your behavior overnight. So first be gentle with yourself to be honest with yourself, be honest Mm -hmm. about your motives, your intentions, make sure that you're always your first priority. You can only manage yourself. You can't manage others. I love that. Be gentle with yourself and be honest with yourself. And that's real because when you be honest with yourself, you might feel guilty. That's why being gentle with yourself is so important. You may feel guilty. You may feel shame. You may feel embarrassed. So many different feelings comes with honesty and being vulnerable that going back to being compassionate over yourself is so vital. Ah, I love that. Janetta, I appreciate you coming on. I do. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Of course, I had to. I was like, I just think she's she's perfect for it um, because this was something that you you talked about um, a few times um, throughout the program. And I, I believe that so many people struggle with um, that rescuing syndrome and the need to, you know, fix people all the time. And, and, and that that can bring so much burnout, overwhelm, exhaustion, resentment, 
I mean, the list goes on and I just wanted to say thank you again. And, um, you know, for just being a guest and I really do appreciate you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye. This was good. I, I truly enjoyed Janetta being a guest on the podcast this week. Um, as I mentioned before, um, lending a helping hand and, and being of service to others, I think is actually one of the most amazing things that you can do truthfully. However, when you always feel the need to be the savior, then we have to rearrange how we do relationships and how we show up. Okay. Because after a while it does become overwhelming. It does become extremely exhausted. And over time it can create that resentment. And most importantly, you become optional and you never become the priority. Okay. So I truly hope that this episode has blessed you in some way um, that you can apply um, in your life as well. Now, before I close out, I want to send a friendly reminder that my free five day breaking through the breakup challenge starts on January the 3rd. Okay, that is next Monday for five days. You will be working with me. And what I'm going to do during that time is just to really help you jumpstart your 2022. One of the things that I hear a lot is new year, new me. Okay, like I know I've said it and you probably said it yourself and I know it comes from good intentions. But the reality of that is a new year doesn't automatically qualify a new you. Right. We got to make better moves and it has to be done on purpose. And what you don't want to do is that you don't want to compartmentalize your heartbreak. You don't want to minimize your hurt. You don't want to sweep it under the rug. You don't want to do any of that because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen It's going to transfer into 2022. And if you know that this is a time where you need that jump start and sign up. Okay. It's free. And if you've been enjoying my podcast and you've been following me for a while and you enjoy my content, you're definitely going to love this challenge. Okay. So the link to sign up will be in the show notes. Okay. So you just click on that link, you sign up and you will get a personalized message from me. Okay. Also, please make sure that you are following me on my social media handles, my Facebook and Instagram. It's Miss Tanya Speaks. That's M-S-T-O-N-Y-A-S-P-E-A-K-S. Also, please make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so that you can receive notifications on when the next podcast episode will drop. Also, leave a review. If you know this podcast has truly been a blessing to you on your journey of healing and growth and development, then head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I will definitely appreciate it. And last but definitely not least, share this information. Okay, we share everything else. And if you know someone who really has difficulty, you know, telling people no, who has difficulty thinking that they supposed to always be the savior, send them this link. Okay, because this is an episode that can truly help them get through or start the process of getting through. All right. So thank you all again for tuning in with me this week. You all have a wonderful and amazing week. And I will see you next time. (laughs) 